0: Welcome all to a podcast on the book Homegoing by Yagasi. Before we get into it, I'm going to do a brief description on all the characters in the book. There are a lot of them, and all are equally important to the story. Mammy, mother of Essie and Effia. Though Effia never meets her, Mam was a slave in Fantiland before escaping back to Isantiland by starting a fire on the night of Effia's birth. Ethia, the first main character introduced in the novel. Effia is born in Fantaland and is raised by her father and a stepmother, Baba, who beats her. Effia marries a white man named James Collins and moves to the castle. She also the mother of Quay, Cobb, father of Effia, he has multiple wives and many children. He wants Effia to marry a man from their village rather than a white man, but allows her to marry James Collins at his wife, Baba's insistence. Baba, the woman who raises Effia, though she is not the girl's birth mother, she beats Effia throughout her childhood and makes Effia conceal her menstruation so that she can marry to a white man and get a large bride price. Fifi, Effia's brother, son of Baba. He is kind to Effia and is the one who reveals that Baba is not her birth mother. James Collins, a white man who falls in love with Effia. They get married and have a child together, though he has a wife and children back in England. He is generally kind and gentle with Ethia, but he gets angry and cold when she brings up the slaves held in the castle's dungeon. Essie, half-sister of Ethia, raised by man and the big man in Asante Land. She is taken as a slave, lives in the dungeons of the Cape Coast Castle for some time, and is sent to the United States on a slave ship. Son of Ethia and James Collins. He is raised at the Cape Coast Castle as a child But when his father catches him wrestling intimately with his friend Cujo, he is sent to England. When he returns, he is put in charge of trade negotiations with his mother's tribe, Fifi. Quay's uncle marries him for political reasons to Nanaya, the daughter of the Asante king. Ness, daughter of Essie, is a slave at a cotton plantation in Alabama run by a man named Thomas Stockton. She is married to a fellow slave named Sam while working on a, together on another plantation. And they had a son named Kujo. When they tried to escape, Sam was killed, but their son was brought to safety by a woman named Aku. Aku. She tries to help Ness and Sam escape from their plantation. Ness and Sam are caught, but Aku brings their child Kujo to the north. She raises Kujo and then lives with his large family until her death. James is the son of Kwe and Nanaya, named after Kwe's father, James Collins. He meets a woman named Akasua at the funeral of his grandfather with the Asante king and falls in love with her. He marries a woman from his village named Ama-Ata, but eventually leaves her, returns to Akasua, and takes her away to marry her and live a simple life. Ama-Ata is the wife of James, the son of Kwe. She urges her husband to see an apocryphary since she is having trouble conceiving a baby. James later leaves her to marry Akasua. Kojo, who is also called Joe, is the son of Ness and Sam. He is raised by Ma Aku, who attempted to bring the whole family to freedom. He is married to Anna and has eight children with her. Kojo is devastated when his pregnant wife, Anna, disappears and he eventually moves to New York. Abina is the daughter of James and Akasua. People think she and her family are unlucky because their crops always fail. She wants to be the second wife of her childhood friend, Ohini, but he will not marry her. Anna, wife of Kojo who disappears while pregnant with their son, H. H is the son of Kojo and Anna. H is arrested when he is young and, because he cannot pay bail, he is taken to work in a mine. After he finishes his sentence... He continues working on a mine for pay and joins a union. He misses his woman, F, who left him because he cheated on her. F later returns after H sends her a letter and they start a family together. Akua, who is the daughter of Abina, was brought up by the missionary who accidentally killed her mother. Akua has dreams about a firewoman and eventually kills her daughters, Abi and Ama Serwa, while asleep. Willie is the daughter of H and F. He marries a man named Robert from her town, and they move to New York. They move in with Lil' Joe, and they have a son named Carson. Willie and Robert split up due to the strain introduced to their marriage by Robert passing as a white man in New York. She meets a man named Eli, and they have a daughter, Josephine, together. Willie has always dreamed of being a jazz singer, but later in life she only sings religious music. Robert is the husband of Willie. Robert is able to pass for a white man in New York, so it is easy for him to get a job. He, begin, he becomes distant and eventually leaves Willie after a traumatic experience at a jazz club. He marries a white woman and has a child with her. Eli is the father of, father of Willie's daughter, Josephine, though he drops in and out of Willie, Carson, and Josephine's lives, depending on how his poetry is going. Josephine is the daughter of Willie and sister of Carson. She continues living with her mother as an adult and is critical of Carson's life choices. Carson, or Sonny. William Robert's son, who has an angry childhood due to, I guess, circumstances, it's not really clear. He has three children with three different women, none of whom he is married to, and this upsets his mother. Sonny becomes addicted to heroin while in a relationship with Amani, a jazz singer. Sonny eventually gets Clean by moving back in with his mother and sticking to a strict schedule. Ya, son of Akua and Asamoah. He was badly scarred when his mother set their hut on fire and is sent away from the village to be educated from a young age. He becomes a teacher and a writer and marries his house girl named Esther. Majori, daughter of Yawa and Esther who was raised in Alabama in the United States. She is very close to her grandmother, Ma Akua, and loves to visit Ghana during the summers. She speaks English and Twi, but her Twi gets worse as she gets older and does not go back to Ghana as often. Majori is afraid of fire. Marcus is the son of Sunny who studies his family lineage while at Stanford for graduate school. He is afraid of water, but faces that fear while visiting Ghana with Majori. Okay, so now that the character biographies are out of the way, I'm going to do a brief summary of the plot and how these characters fit together. Effia and Essie were half-sisters who never met. Ethia was born in Fontiland and Essie was born in Asante Land, and Effie was married to a slave trader, who was John Collins, the governor of the Cape Coast Castle. Essie is sold into slavery by Effie's husband. Effie's son, Kwe, went to work for the slave trading company, while Essie's daughter, Ness, lived and died as a slave. Essie's descendants were raised in the United States. Ness's son, Kojo, was a free man in Baltimore. Kojo's son, H, was a slave, then a convict, and then a union organizer. H's daughter, Willie, was a singer who moved to Harlem. Willie's first child, Sonny, worked for the NAACP before falling into drugs, and Sonny's son, Marcus, went on to study at Stanford. Effie's descendants were raised in Africa before moving to the United States. Her son, Kwe, married Nana Ya, a member of Asante royalty. Kwe's son, James, faked his death to be with his wife, Akasua. James's daughter, Abina, died in childbirth. Abina's daughter, Akua, set fire to her hut while sleepwalking and killed all but one of her children. Her surviving son, Yao, became a teacher and moved to Alabama with his wife and daughter. Yao's daughter, Majori, also attended Stanford. She and Marcus met at a party one night and immediately, I guess, connected. He took her to Pratt City, where H1 lived, once lived, and worked at the coal miner. Majori took him to Ghana, where they visited the Cape Coast castle. At long last the two families were finally reunited. So after you have the brief summary, we're going to go into some of the themes that were carried out throughout the story. Um, and the themes were kind of, are made, the themes are an important part of the story because there's so many different lives and so many different chapters in the book and it's really, really cool how the same topic keeps coming up and these totally different lives. So, slavery is one of the first themes introduced into the novel. In the first chapter, Effie marries a slave trader named James Collins and moves to the Cape Coast castle where she enjoys a comfortable life mere floors away from the slave dungeons, while Essie is a prisoner at the same dungeon. We see the effects of slavery on both sides of the coin throughout the book. Effie's descendants are better off at first because of the family's valued reputation as traders, but are soon cursed for their actions. Essie's family has a much harder path set out for them because they are slaves. Yet at the end of the book, their the son, Marcus, is studying at Stanford. So, I mean, you can take what information you want out of there. Essie's family, their family histories don't intersect again until their descendants visit the Cape Coast Castle together. And they begin talking and healing from the trauma of their history. Speaking of history, that is one of the most important themes in Homegoing. Yasi, the author uses both families to explore the dark history of slavery delving into the horrors of the African slave trade the antebellum south and life during segregation in the united states and modern life today each character in the novel comes to represent a different period of time and their lives stand in for experiences shared by many africans and african-americans such as working in coal mines suffering from years of bad harvest and contending with their tragic family histories Yao one of Effie's descendants, complicates the theme with a single sentence. History is storytelling. He teaches his students that history is told by the victors. To truly understand history, one must look for the voices of the losers and the oppressed. In many ways, this novel is an attempt to fill in that lost history by telling the stories of non-whites and slaves. Gyasi does an admirable job of weaving, weaving together these forgotten yet central stories. Now we're going to move on to the first little segment in the podcast. Um, now that we have a general understanding of the book, let's dive deeper into some of my personal favorite characters. I'm going to start with Effia since she's sort of the first main character in her family's timeline. Effia, again, is the daughter of Cobb and Mam. Growing up in a fancy village on the Gold Coast, Effia does not know that she is Mam's daughter. She is raised by Cobb's wife. Baba, who is resentful of having to raise Ethia and beats her often. Baba always seemed to have an ulterior motive to her actions and that is revealed when Baba conspires to have Ethia marry the British officer James Collins, even though Cobb would rather prefer that Ethia married the village's future chief, Abinu. Baba really did her dirty. Luckily, Ethia and James Collins developed a good deal of affection for her, but Effie remains uncomfortable with James Collins' participation in the slave trade. Still, she knows that she cannot return to her village because of Baba's cruelty, so she stays with James and has a son together. Effie's implicit acceptance of the slave trade and her unwitting betrayal of her half-sister Essie, who is sold from the dungeon of the slave in a castle in which Effia lives, haunts her branch of the family for seven generations as some would think it should. Her final descendant in the novel is Majori. Next is Essie, who is the main character for the opposing timeline. Essie is Mam and the big man's daughter and Effie is half-sister. Essie grows up in the Asante village and sees how her village profits from capturing and selling slaves. She can be seen as the privileged in her village because of her family and their pedigree. She doesn't think much about it until she is captured herself by warriors from the village of one of her slaves, Aboronama. In a case that could t- be seen as karma, Essie is then sent to the Cape Coast castle and is packed into the castle's dungeon with many other women. It's ironic because her, e- her sis- half-sister, Effia, lives a life of luxury upstairs, mere feet away from each other. One day, Essie is raped by a British soldier and becomes pregnant. She's then shipped to America and sold to a plantation. She and her daughter, Ness, initially work on the same plantation but are separated when Ness is sold to a plantation that she personally calls Hell. Essie's story is one that has soaring highs and deep lows, and it was sort of painful to watch as she went through her years as a slave, compared to her life as uncomfortability or, I don't know, comfort as Asante royalty. If you read the book, you have noticed that the length and detail of the first two chapters, the one with Effia and Essie, are much longer and more in-depth than any other. Still, another one that I enjoyed was H's story as he made a life for himself in the hard times of a post-Civil War society. H is Joe and Anna's son. After being kidnapped and sold into slavery while pregnant, Anna kills herself. H is born when his master cuts him out of Anna's stomach. H works on a plantation until he is 13. After the Civil War, he is imprisoned for supposedly staring at a white woman and puts and is put into the convict leasing system. He works in the mines in Alabama. The mines were a really bad place for H, and all of his ego and bravado are snatched away from him, leaving with nothing. After he's released from prison, he work continues to work in the mines as a free laborer and is lost and doesn't know what to do with himself except mine. He marries a woman named F, whom which he cheated on before his imprisonment. He finds himself in a church group and becomes the leader there. What was lacking from him, though, was any real emotions throughout his entire chapter. Like, the author purposely didn't go into detail about what he was feeling compared to other characters shown throughout the book. I think maybe she did this on purpose to better portray the no-nonsense, meathead stereotype that H's character was. Nevertheless, I enjoyed how he found a purpose in society with his church group that was otherwise going to put him down. So for the next segment on the podcast, we're going to have some discussion or super hot questions with a few special guests. Uh, let me introduce them for you. This is Alexis and Justin joining us on the podcast, and I'm going to ask them a few hot questions that I have. So number one, evaluate the title of the book. Why do you think that the author chose the word homegoing? And what is a homegoing and where does it appear in the novel?
1: Um, hi, I'm Alexis. Um, my answer would be, um, I think the author chose the name Homegoing to represent African heritage and the way its culture has rooted from Africa. The actual meaning of Homegoing is the belief that death allowed an enslaved person's spirit to travel back to Africa. I think it's significant that Yag Gyasi uses this as a title because it gives a fictional, st- a fictional story of characters about actual. African history and the way that colonization affected Africa as a whole.
0: Okay,
2: cool. Personally, I think, I think the reason it's called home-going is, well, because uh, because during out the entire day, you know, like it's, it's, my answer is similar to what she said, and as in how they want to return, how a person's spirit wants to return to Africa. I also think that ultimately, the goal of all descendants is to find their home, um, or to go back to their home, because um, I was one, because to be fair, most of them are in unfamiliar territory. Me, that is ultimately my, my idea.
0: Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, next one. What perspective does the book offer on the subject of beliefs and otherness? For instance, does the book like differ between superstition and belief? Like, why does Ma Aku reprimand Joe after he's kicked out of the church? What do the missionary and the fetishman contribute to a dialogue on beliefs and otherness? Does the book ultimately suggest the best way to confront beliefs that are foreign to us?
1: Um, the book mainly has different perspectives from different generations, such as man to woman, young to old, and etc. The book definitely gives superstition between each character, but then explains it as someone else's perspective to give the audience a different lens to look through one perspective that really stands out is the way some of the characters view the missionaries as greedy or malevolent but some characters view them as people sent from God to spread the word it all basically just depends on who you're looking through
2: yeah. Yeah. well I mean belief is something that is not completely the objective it is very tangible and beliefs change with Time and who the person is, and all, honestly, ultimately in this story, we see that how you live and how you, how you act, act, and what people tell you ultimately influences your belief. Like, like she said, some people think the missionaries are good; some think they're bad, and some still hold on to their tribalistic beliefs, while others are more accepting of new ideas and culture. Well, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's mostly it mostly depends on on who or what you. Th- or who or how you grew up,
0: right? So it kind of just depends on the upbringing and what each person themselves think. Hey,
2: yeah, I mean that okay. is what I mean. Belief is something that can be challenged, it can be changed. It's not you can't a person cannot simply have one belief their entire life. I I it can beliefs can always be challenged. Okay. Some people hold on to those beliefs until they die, but 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 that does not mean that they cannot be changed.
0: Right, all right, all right, and last question. Evaluate the treatment and role of women in the novel. What role does marriage play within the cultures represented in the novel, and how are the women treated as a result? Likewise, what significance does fertility and motherhood have for the woman, and how does it influence their treatment?
1: Okay, um, the role of women mainly in Africa were not high, but the women more in um, America were kind of valued. Um, they weren 't treated prop they were treated more like property, and marriage is more of a way that a man can carry on his position to his offspring and have a bigger clan. The significance of fertility is being able to re- reproduce a younger generation to carry on power, traditions, and family name and If a woman cannot do that, she 's looked at as cursed or worthless so it 's important that each woman can give that sacrifice to everyone
2: Home go- uh- Women in uh, African culture are oftentimes viewed very similar to how many other cultures, cultures back then, and view women. And many African cultures today still hold those same primal beliefs, because they believe that women are simply em- em- there to become assets, children, children bearers, and the more you have. The more you're seen as a sort of respectable person, that the strongest you go with the strongest, strongest the, the best you can be with the best, as that is, and it does that by sort of and homegoing does that by exploring two different how two different cultures sort of treat women. I mean, the African tribe it views them purely as property, property, and and how, how they are only there to make children, and how, how if you cannot make children, you are simply you, ref- you are simply less of a woman, woman, which is already a low status to begin with, and how the West treat and and the British Isles treat Ingl- women, in as well they are, they have more rights but are more or less a disadvantaged person. Like there are many stereotypes associated with them. Women are still excited to get married and have children, and single women are considered odd.
0: Right, well I kind of viewed, um, at least in the African culture, that woman was kind of a way for a man to move up in society, in African society. So like, if you married the daughter of a chieftain, you would, you would gain a lot of privileges for that. Um, last question, how would you say the treatment and role of women differs today?
2: Hey, There's a massive, massive uh, change in how women are treated. I mean, we, we, women today do things that many women back then couldn't even dream of. Like many women hold high positions, many women are more educated, it, many women can simply many women women can simply marry other women, which is something that that many people would consider downright sinful, sinful even even immoral back then. And but women, but like compared to then. Women are a lot more privileged, they're not seen as property anymore. By most of like the first world at least, in places like Saudi Arabia and in many regions of Africa, women are still seen more or less the same way they they are seen in the book, okay, as property and and considered women. But like in the mainstream, women are are considered a more equal class than they were er, so many years ago.
0: Okay, what about you, Alexis?
1: Um, well, definitely in today's society, women are a lot different because they're not expected to be a man's property. They're able to carry on their own dreams and they're able to live independently.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast and I'll see you later. Now, to bring a close to the podcast, I'd like to hand out a few different awards to the characters as sort of a closing ceremony. The most surprising award goes to Carson or Sonny. He gets this award because of the drastic change in life choices he made throughout his chapter. He went from being a member of the NAACP, a group fighting, the written American Society of Segregation, to a heroin addict. Not only does he turn into a druggie, it is later learn that he has three kids with three different women. Luckily, he's able to turn his life around in the end and raise his son in Marcus. The It's Not That Deep award goes to Robert. When he, his wife Willie, and their son, Carson, move to New York City, the times turn hard for his family as they're trying to get back on their feet. Instead of just rolling with the punches and, keeping, and keep on pushing towards the angle, Robert decides to give up because of peer pressure. You see, Robert's skin is light enough to pass off as white in the city, and being seen with Willie is making it hard to find a job. After a traumatic event, He ends up leaving Willy because he's too ashamed or scared to face the consequences of his actions. Not only does he leave his family, he decides to start a whole new one and pretty much change an identity, hence why he gets the award for overreacting. The award for shadiest character goes to James. You see James here falls in love with a woman, Akasua, from a rival African village while visiting said village for his grandfather's, the chief's, funeral. I don't know, but to me, that's not really an appropriate time to catch feelings for someone. Anyway, as he leaves, he returns to his village and lives out the rest of his life. He marries a woman from his village, but even if he, even because he's married, he's still hung up on Akasua. After much contemplation, he abandons his village and his current wife, and he convinces Akasua away from her village and lives the rest of their life together on some small, dinky little town. The most surprising award goes to Ness. As her chapter first starts out, readers get the picture of a hard woman that doesn't like to show her emotions, she really just keeps to herself. The first surprise takes us by, by her having Pinky and taking her under her wing, and protecting her from the schemes of her fellow slaves on the plantation. The next biggest surprise is when we learn about Ness's time in her old plantation. It turns out that Ness had a husband and a child, but the husband was killed and the child was taken away to live a better life as a free man up north. The child got away in a scheme that Ness and her husband came up with. Originally, all of them were going to escape, but unfortunately the master of her plantation caught them. This backstory gives so much more depth to an otherwise static character and lets readers understand Ness and her current mannerisms much more than before. And that just about wraps up this week's episode. Um, I hope everyone found Homegoing by yasi as interesting as not, I found it. The story came to me and made a lasting impression because it's just really different from all the other books that I've read recently. Um, if it wasn't that to your liking or you didn't really find this podcast interesting, I hope you tune in to our future episodes and maybe we'll go over a book that's more to your liking. Anyway, that's all I got, and I'll see you all later.